The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Foster, a senior writer at Barron's. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm very pleased to welcome Todd Rosenbluth back to the show. He is head of research at Vetify, an ETF data and analytics company. Todd has become my go-to source on all things ETFs, including the topic of today's show, which is active bond ETFs. Welcome, Todd. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Great to have you back. Before we get started, I'd recommend listeners uh, have a pen and paper or maybe a digital notepad handy as Todd has an encyclopedic knowledge of ticker symbols. And you may want to jot some down if you're interested in looking up some of the funds um, that we uh, talk about. So without further ado, Todd, um, as you know, Barron's just published a story on how the Bond Kings, namely Rick Reader of BlackRock and Dan Iverson of PIMCO, are now managing active bond ETFs. And this is the first for both of them. So as listeners know, ETFs have long been popular for their passive strategies. And I'm wondering, are you seeing a big pickup of interest and flows into active ETFs? We are. So in general, we're seeing advisors and end investors increasingly turning towards actively managed ETFs. Some of that is going towards active equity ETFs. JP Morgan in particular has had success with some enhanced income or covered call ETFs. Uh, the ticker on one of those is JEPI, a JP Morgan equity premium income ETF. But we're seeing increasingly advisors and investors also turning towards active fixed income ETFs. And I know we're going to get into specifics of some of the firms, but investors have had long had a lot of comfort in using active management to get exposure to fixed income. They traditionally were doing that through mutual funds. So as we've seen money moving from mutual funds towards ETFs, and that's been a, a, the pendulum has continued to swing towards ETFs, they've actually, most of that has happened within the equity space, whereas people stayed relatively loyal to their active or to the mutual, to the bond mutual fund or fixed income mutual fund, in part because that's where you could get exposure to active management. That's so changing. Yeah. So this pendulum swing is, is really interesting because, you know, as you know, over the long run, it's really tough for active strategies to beat passive strategies. You know, S&P comes out with its SPIVA scorecard every year. And every year, you know, active managers have, have to hold the champagne because it's sort of a coin toss as to, um, you know, whether they're beating um, their passive uh, indexes. So what do you think is behind the, the flows into active ETFs this year? So well, let me just touch on if I can quickly. You referenced the, the, that SPIVA data. The data is more favorable towards active management for fixed income. It is actually closer to a coin flip, the latest SPIVA scorecard that came out uh, using the end of 2022 data that, that I recall, it was roughly 50% of active 
core bond mutual funds outperformed the Bloomberg Barclays, Barclays aggregate bond index in the three-year period ended 2022. Far fewer did so within the equity space. I think it's roughly a quarter of, of the large cap core mutual funds that did so. Uh, and so, and in fact, I think it's actually, yeah, no, it's, it, I'm pulling up the numbers now. It's roughly a quarter. So 50-50 is still better for active management within fixed income and people are inclined to do so. But to your question specifically about why is it happening now? Why is this time perhaps different? One is the supply of products. And I know we're going to get into BlackRock and DoubleLine and uh, PIMCO and others that have increasingly brought active fixed income products to market. But this has been a really tough year or interesting year and tough year, perhaps, for fixed income oriented investors. The Federal Reserve starting last year, began its rate hiking program. It's continued to do so during uh, 2023. Um, and that makes it a challenge for act for investors to keep up with what's going on in the bond market, to understand the Fed's next move, to understand whether or not we're going to have a recession in the near term, or whether or not we might have had one and don't know it. And so they're more inclined to turn towards active management than they were beforehand. So I think during the reporting, I think I heard something like there are 65,000 fixed income securities. I mean, that's a lot of securities to choose from. So is that, I suppose, one of the benefits of going active in bonds is that you have these seasoned pros who can really find, uh, you know, bonds that maybe not be in the, the traditional indexes? Um, what are some of the other reasons that I think being active in bonds makes a lot of sense? Yeah, so the, the bond market is just different and, and more complicated for investors. So one way of investing in the bond market is just simply owning a low-cost index-based product, and iShares and Vanguard and State Street, among others, offer those products. But there are benefits to using active management, and instead of trying to do it yourself, working with a professional manager, uh, and now they're available in the ETF space. That management team can adjust their the interest rate sensitivity of the portfolio based on the latest developments within uh, from monetary policy. They can find potential reward opportunities without the risk uh, being as great. And that's something that we're seeing active managers do from a top-down perspective and allocating towards investment-grade corporate bonds or agency bonds or high yield or... Uh, eight, you know, emerging market securities. And, and if any of this is a challenge for the listeners, it is for me, certainly, um, then you may want to benefit from, from active management and also just the risk controls that they can bring to bear. Uh, so active management makes sense to a lot of people uh, within the fixed income world. And again, now they have more choices uh, using ETFs than ever before. Yeah, you mentioned you know, uh, investors have tended to be quite loyal to their active um, bond fund managers. And historically, you know, mutual funds have really been the sort of best way to gain access to those experienced uh, bond managers. But as you mentioned in the story, some big uh, name firms have uh, launched ETFs this year. Uh, two that we mentioned in the story uh, were 
BlackRock uh, Flexible Income Fund, and that was ticker BINC, and also the, the PIMCO Multi-Sector Bond Active ETF, uh, ticker PYLD. So apart from those two, um, and maybe you can even talk about those two as well, what are some of the other big uh, notable launches in the space this year? Yeah, well, so let's let's start there, I guess, to just talk about why that was significant to, to see uh, PIMCO and BlackRock launch those products. For perspective, both PIM, you know, PIMCO launched the first active fixed income ETF and the ticker BOND. Uh, so the word, if I said it out loud, it would be bond. Uh, but BOND as a ticker uh, is a core bond fund that has a long track record uh, within the core space. Uh, it's run by a different member of PIMCO's fixed income team. And so to see PIMCO come in uh, and have PYLD, which is going to be more income oriented, uh, take on a bit more risk through different multi-sector exposures uh, and have Dan Iveson uh, be a, one of the portfolio managers supporting that was a big deal to see uh, happen because he's, he's PIMCO's CIO. Uh, BlackRock has also long had, even though they're known for their index-based products, they've long had active ETFs primarily within the ultra-short space, so very low interest rate sensitivity. An ETF like NEAR, N-E-A-R, is an example of of BlackRock's active uh, fixed income products. BINC, which is uh, the, the product that Rick Reeder is, to, uh, is, is helping to run the flexible income fund, is similar to that PIMCO one. It's more income oriented, takes on a bit more, more risk to find income opportunities. And so it's just exciting to see uh, some of the firms bring established asset managers, established ETF providers, bring some of their stars into the overall marketplace. Uh, but but without, I'm happy to go deeper in any of these. We've seen firms like Capital Group uh, launch a suite of fixed income ETFs within the past year and have success in gathering assets. We saw DoubleLine uh, bring more fixed income ETFs uh, to marketplace within the past year, and they've had success and there are other firms that have been around for a little bit longer. American Century and Fidelity uh, have had success. And as, as you mentioned, uh, we'll come back to it later on. We at Venify hosted a fixed income symposium about a month ago. And those were some of the speakers uh, at, our, at our event. We're definitely going to pick up on that event because I'm very curious to hear what you were hearing from advisors and from some of the speakers. Before we go there, uh, another one, another funds that was launched this year, another firm that launched an ETF uh, was Franklin Templeton. And again, uh, Ed Perks got in, getting his first actively managed ETF. I think even as maybe his first ETF ever. But this is different from uh, the other two funds we mentioned. It's not a strictly a bond fund. It's a multi-asset fund. And whereas, you know, the sort of PIMCO and BlackRock funds are, are very sort of unique strategies. The Franklin Templeton one is a, a sort of almost a clone of an existing uh, mutual fund that I believe this year actually turns 75, or actually this month turns 75. Can you just chat a bit about the Franklin Templeton option and, and what makes that interesting? Sure. So the, the ETF that we're talking about uh, is INCM. So it almost sounds like income. Uh, in fact, it does sound like income, but just without the vowels. Uh, so INCM, 
That's the Franklin Income Focus ETF. And you're right, the Franklin Income Fund, and one of the tickers, mutual funds, is FQ, I'm sorry, FKIQX. That's the A share class of, as you mentioned, this almost 70, is about to turn 75 years old mutual fund that this share class alone has $20 billion. The total portfolio of assets is over $70 billion. So that's tremendous that we see ETF-oriented investors have access to these type of products. And that this fund is different for a couple of reasons you mentioned. It's multi-asset, so it has some traditional fixed income. It actually has some convertible bonds. It also has some equity securities as well, this being INCM. So it isn't just a bond fund, but it's combined fixed income and convertible securities is, I think, close to 80% of the overall portfolio. This just is a sign to me of, ET- and as a head of research at a firm, Vetify focused on ETFs, a sign that ETFs are here to stay and asset managers are meeting investors, advisors, and then clients where they are. My grandfather might have, I don't know if he did, he's no longer with us, uh, if he invested in the Franklin Income Mutual Fund, seven, you know, which has been around for 75 years. Uh, there's now an ETF version to, to, again, bring people closer to where their investments have been going. So just a quick reminder to the audience, if you do have questions for Taj, please submit them in the Q&A feature. Uh, I'll leave a little time at the end for audience Q&A. So just sort of moving on, Todd, you know, we've had a few launches this year, but there have also been a number of funds that have been around for a long time. So can you talk a bit about some of the more entrenched, you know, active bond ETFs that have been around? What are some of the examples? Yeah. So FBND, which I think I alluded to, I might have even mentioned it uh, when I was talking about uh, Fidelity. That fund has, I think, a nine-year track record, eight or nine-year track record um, is four and a half billion dollars in size yeah i'm pulling up it as i type and talk it launched in october of 2014 has a history of outperforming the broader uh, aggregate bond index so that's one of the established ones i, I mentioned also uh, pimco's bond etf the largest active etf is actually also from jp morgan and i say also because i touched on JP Morgan has the largest active ETF in general. JPST, ST for short term, uh, is just that, a a very conservative, low interest rate, actively managed ETF uh, that JP Morgan offers. It's um, gathered assets when people were looking for a flight to safety and a flight to quality, and it's... uh, been around since 2017. It's a, a great way for people to benefit from active management and and get more than they might from a cash perspective and has just over $23 billion in assets. So these are some sizable products that are out there already today uh, and more to come, we think. Yeah, that's exciting. So, you know, for, for investors who are, are looking at the fixed income space, you know, they have to make the sort of, you know, 
trade-off decision about whether to go into an active ETF or whether to go into an active mutual fund. Uh, they've also got so many, you know, passive options that are out there. Let's just start with um, the active ETF uh, side of the equation and talk about the advantages of choosing uh, an active bond ETF over an active bond mutual fund. Yeah, so I, I guess... It this decision is one somebody makes when they've decided that they believe in active management. They have confidence in a, we, we talked about a portfolio manager, whether that's from BlackRock or Franklin, um, PIMCO, among others, DoubleLine. These firms, many of them offer mutual funds and ETFs run by the same people. They may not be the exact same structure. So ETFs, you uh, let's just talk about some of the differences. ETFs you buy and sell during the day, unlike a mutual fund where you only buy uh, at the close of the market price. So you trade an ETF, even if it holds bonds, the way you trade a stock. It's in a brokerage account. You put in, hopefully, a limit order that you can control the price you end up paying. You Hopefully, you're trading during hours where it makes sense to you and not at the beginning or the end of the day. Lauren, I know you didn't ask for best practices, but I'd be remiss if I didn't cite them. Um, and you can hold an ETF uh, within with a bond ETF the way you would in the same sleeve of brokerage account as you would uh, traditional equity ETFs. ETFs in general are more tax efficient than mutual funds. So what do I mean by that? You as the investor have greater control whether or not you pay a capital gain uh, or you recognize a capital loss uh, that takes place in your portfolio based on your buying and selling activity, unlike a mutual fund where you're part of a pool of assets. And a pool of assets could result in capital gains or losses to be incurred based on other people's trading activity. So you better control your own destiny and your tax implications using an ETF than a mutual fund in general, that doesn't mean every ETF is going to have no capital gains, but many of them are going to have that. Um, and so I guess lastly, there's just liquidity in general. Um, ETFs are trading every day. There needs to be a seller for every buyer that takes place that just results. And there's lots of institutional investors that are using ETFs to access the, the broader market. Um, so you, you benefit from a broader potential pool of trading partners, but you aren't necessarily impacted by any of them. So let me perhaps then just flip that question around and ask, you know, with so many advantages of, for, for going for an active ETF, you know, why would an investor choose a mutual fund over an ETF? What are the advantages there that you might not get in an ETF? So... There are, in my opinion, there's far fewer. And with full perspective, I'm the head of research of a company that has two websites that have ETF in the name, ETF Trends and ETF Database. But we also talk about mutual funds as well. Um, I own some mutual funds. I'm not here to disclose. I don't own anything that we're talking about, so I'm not going to disclose what it is that I own. But I own mutual funds because I've owned them for years. They were part of an RIA. IRA, sorry, I wanted to get the tickers, the letters right, an IRA that I've held uh, money in and to sell 
the mutual fund would create a taxable event that I'm not ready to have happen. Um, that I'm that that to me just doesn't make sense to do. But if you're looking to put new money to work, an advantage of mutual funds versus ETFs is is dollar cost averaging. In and and for many people, that's just set up as an easy way to continue to add to the broader portfolio. The other advantage of using mutual funds is there aren't that there, even though we're talking about a number of them, there still are not that many active fixed income ETFs from firms that you might be most comfortable with. And so we're seeing more of them. We're seeing more asset managers expand the lineup, but not there are not ETF versions or analogs or clones of all the mutual fund strategies that you've long had exposure to. So if you own a bond mutual fund and you're happy with it, you should stay happy with it. There's no, there's no reason to move just because there's products that have come to marketplace. So Todd, again, you and Vetify, you know, you work with a lot of financial advisors, you're talking to advisors all the time. I'm, I'm curious what you're hearing from them in terms of their interest in active ETFs and especially their clients. I mean, what do clients want? And then is that helping to drive this demand for why these big firms are now launching uh, more products? So short answer, yes. We are seeing growing interest in active ETFs. We are hearing, uh, you mentioned, uh, or I mentioned, and then you repeated, we held an event at Vetify uh, that replays are still available. You can go to etftrends.com under the events page and see uh, links to the fixed income symposium. But we asked those attendees uh, about how they were using active management. And 52% of those that attended it told us that they have more than one-fourth of their assets are run by active management. So lots of numbers there. More than half are heavy or significant users of active management. This is where many investors are looking to put money, their fixed income money to work. They are increasingly turning towards ETFs. They want to have active management within the portfolio. And so to me, it's no surprise that we're seeing asset managers that had a presence within the ETF marketplace expanding their lineup and continuing to see success and hit milestones. Um, I'll just use another one as an example, T. Rowe Price, which has had a longer presence in the active equity space, uh, has also launched, has recently rolled out in, in the past year or two, fixed income ETFs, their total return ETF just hit a key uh, asset milestone uh, last week. So money continues to move in to these ETFs. The ticker on that is TOTR. That's the TRO price total return ETF. So you, we've both mentioned your recent fixed income symposium a couple of times, and I'm also curious to know, you know, what were some of the highlights in terms of the sessions, things that either surprised you or things that you learned? Um, just tell us some of the key takeaways from that symposium. Yeah, so we what was exciting to me is I got to moderate a couple of these sessions that involved active portfolio managers, active fixed income managers, where we were able, we in the audience, and hopefully people come and listen to the replay, were able to hear where they were putting to money to work and why. Where did they see the greatest reward opportunities without taking on undue risk? 
Um, and how, and similarly, we asked the audience that question and then let the asset managers opine on whether those reward, whether that, those investment styles made sense. Um, from the audience perspective, we saw really strong interest in investment grade corporate bonds. So they were willing to take on some risk outside of the treasury marketplace, but were nervous about going too far out, take on too much credit risk. And they felt like they were getting they were getting rewarded. We saw similarities from some of the portfolio managers. They were in agreement about that. They also were turning towards agency uh, and uh, and uh, CMOs, uh, areas that I'm less comfortable in, in, in talking at length about, but where they saw the reward being quite strong and higher quality uh, credit than you'd find within traditionally within the corporate bond space. Uh, so again, the, the beautiful thing about the fixed income marketplace is it's so vast. The challenging thing about the fixed income marketplace is it is so vast. Uh, and so for some people, simple is better and you can pay three basis points to get exposure to the broad aggregate bond index using ETFs, AGG and BND are a couple of examples of that. Or you can tap into established asset managers who are finding reward opportunities uh, that, that, that they find appealing and often get to hear from them directly. Great. Well, we only have a few minutes left um, because I'm going to jump to some of the audience questions. So we've had, I guess, both Charles and Terry have uh, similar questions regarding fees. So Charles sort of wonders about sort of the fees versus the rewards and is there a balance? But Terry also says, you know, ETFs uh, versus mutual fund fees, uh, just sort of asking generally about that. Uh, and also are the performance fees you mentioned versus aggregate net of all fees? So let me let me try to co cover a couple of things. Uh, all of the data, all the performance data that I would reference would be net of fees, um, and so the the returns, which I don't think I cited any individual ETF and how it's performed, but in general, the fifty percent outperformance of versus that which were for mutual funds for perspective uh, active mutual funds versus the ag. That's net of fees information. And I welcome folks to go visit the SPIVA U.S. scorecard that S&P Dow Jones Indices puts out. I think Morningstar puts out uh, active passive barometer as well. Uh, active bond ETFs tend to be cheaper than active bond mutual funds, but active bond ETFs are notably at a premium towards an index-based product. So let me just, I have one up handy, the BlackRock Flexible Income ETF. BINC that we were talking about charges 40 basis points, 0.40%. I mentioned earlier AGG, which is the iShares core bond ETF, same fund family uh, being part of BlackRock is three, 0.03%. I don't have a BlackRock mutual fund handy off the top of my head, but the fee is going to be higher than 40 basis points. Why? You're often dealing with fees that get paid to advisors. You're often dealing with the cost it is to run the mutual fund and the back office capabilities and tracking who it is. You're often part of a broader pool of assets that has been more established. In the ETF space, it's just much more competitive. So the fees are coming down 
notably. Um, you should prepare to pay more than three basis points. You should prepare to pay less than 60 basis points, uh, somewhere in between. How much is the right amount? I don't have an answer for that. It depends upon how good, how the, well the fund is performing net of fees. Sorry, I know we have a couple of minutes left and I answered way too long on that one. That's all good. So Gabriel says there's so many bond ETFs that offer similar yields and it's a bit overwhelming to pick one. What should an investor focus on when trying to select from so many? And could you perhaps comment on uh, Spider SPDR, Bloomberg High Yield Bond ETF? I think the ticker he says here is JNK. Yeah, okay. So um, let me do that one first. Mm -hmm. So JNK is an index-based high-yield bond ETF, so more credit risk um, than, than the, most of the strategies that we're talking about, companies that are double B, single B rated in general. It's, a, it's been around a long time. It's quite strong and available. State Street actually just lowered the fee of a similar uh, but more retail-friendly product, the ticker is SPHY. That ETF costs five basis points, SPHY. JNK costs 40. I'll let people do their homework to see the benefits and differences between them, but all things equal, five is better <laughs> than 40. Um, how do you choose? I'll take the broader question of how do you choose these, uh, and especially in the active space. If you're familiar with an asset manager, that's been around in the mutual fund days, you've got comfort in what they've done over the past and who's running the fund and the overall strategy. That's a good starting point. With active management, there's a lot of trust that's needed. And every bond environment is going to be different, so even the past track record. So if you've worked with uh, PIMCO beforehand, you should look at their PIMCO ETFs. If you work with BlackRock before and you should look at the BlackRock ETFs. It doesn't mean it's the right one, but that's a good starting point. Um, what you know, you know for the right reasons, and, and you should tap into that, that expertise. Otherwise, there's lots of folks that come up with the best lists and, and that are publicly available that can help you out. So Neil has a question about the Franklin Income Fund. Uh, and even I think this was in our reporting. It says the ETF has a 25% limit on non-investment grade debt. And Neil asked, does this make it less risky than the PIMCO, PYLD, and or the BlackRock BINC funds? So I think that the limit, I, I, I apologies, I don't have your article in front of me as to what how you phrased it. I think with most of these multi-sector or core plus bond ETFs that we're talking about, there are limitations as to how much credit risk that they can take on. I think, I don't know it for sure, but I think that BlackRock similarly has limitations of how much credit risk uh, or high yield bonds it, that the manager can hold. Same with PIMCO, same with DoubleLine. There's just rules of the road to, to keep, you know, keep the asset managers honest. So I don't think Franklin is, I don't think any of these firms are unique in that regard. What's unique is that they even can invest in high yield bonds to that degree. You know, for some of these funds, you won't see much exposure outside, you know, below triple B rated bonds. They tend to invest in investment grade securities. So I think there's limitations set for all of these strategies. Okay, great. We might have time to squeeze in one or two more questions. Alan asks, what are some tax-free ETFs, uh, and I guess in parentheses, for California? 
Ah, okay. So just for the audience's perspective, um, what we're talking about are these are municipal bond ETFs um, that so they're investing in municipal bonds or tax rate related uh, securities. The among the largest ones that are available uh, are MUB from iShares and VTEB um, from Vanguard. Sorry, I was trying to multitask and type. Uh, let me see if I can find you uh, examples. So iShares has a California municipal bond ETF. The ticker is CMF. Um, that's one such example. Uh, I don't want to just only pick on pick out them. So let me give you a PIMCO offers one also. The ticker is PWZ. The PIMCO, I'm sorry, not PIMCO, Invesco offers one also. PWZ, Invesco California AMT free municipal bond ETF. And for folks, I'm on ETFDB.com which is our website, and you can just type in categories and find out more about ETFs. Great. So I've got two more questions. And again, I should just remind the listeners that you know Todd is not a financial advisor. So these might be out of your orbit, Todd. So feel free to punt if this is not something you can comment on. Um, John asks, uh, can you speak as to whether you're better off to buy bonds through U.S. Treasury Direct or through ETFs uh, and bond funds? And then I guess a similar vein uh, are investment grade individual bonds, but it's buy them ETFs for individual investors. So I'm going to try to do both of those at the same time with the, again, I'm not a financial advisor. You should certainly talk to one. That would make sense. The benefits of using an ETF, which we, we very quickly drove by, uh, include diversification. So, and include liquidity. So the second question tied to investment grade bonds, instead of owning uh, an AT&T bond or a Microsoft bond or a Coca-Cola bond uh, and having just exposure to that issuer, a ETF like LQD, which is an iShares investment grade corporate bond ETF or VCIT, which is a Vanguard investment grade corporate bond ETF, you get the benefits of diversification. You have hundreds of issuers with different credit ratings, with different fundamental profiles, that you get the advantages of that. From a liquidity standpoint, you get the ability to trade the ETF as a basket with other people who want to buy that basket, as opposed to trying to find somebody who wants to buy that one bond issued by Microsoft that's maturing in five years from you and get them to pay a fair price. You get the benefits of trading on an exchange with an ETF the same way you would a stock. Instead of standing on the street corner trying to find someone, you're, you're, you're benefiting from a broader pool of, of investors. Well, great. We're going to have to leave it there, Todd. That's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. It's been my pleasure as well. Folks can visit ETFDB.com and find out all about the ETFs that I was talking about uh, as, as appropriate. But thanks a lot, Lauren, and thanks to all, to all the listeners. Great. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We hope you can join us again tomorrow. MarketWatch reporter Jessica Hall and Susan Hirschman, Director of Wealth Management at Schwab Wealth Advisory, will discuss retirement and transferring wealth. Thank you for listening. Be well and have a wonderful day. The energy transition is a long and winding road. 
and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.